the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Let me tell you what we've got on deck today. News, news, news. We're going to comment on Gavin Newsom. He's got to twist himself something fierce to get out of his predicament. Joe Biden, divider in chief. That's all I got to say there. Uh, The southern border and how it's affecting some people's weddings. Ron DeSantis was in Iowa. Donald Trump was not. Glenn Youngkin's doing something really that I like. And then Daniel Penny, who protected people on the subway, and now he's being tried for manslaughter. We'll get into all of that coming up. Welcome to the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Sometimes I like to just take a step back and look at some of the bigger stories that are going on nationwide and talk about them. So we're going to do that today. We're going to start with Gavin Newsom. I'm from California. I used to be so proud of being from California. My mom was from California. My dad moved to California as a young man, and we were all proud Californians. And now we're just devastated by what's going on there. And there's a lot of blame to go around, but Governor Gavin Newsom deserves a big part of that. Now, this is a guy who's really, you know, he looks great. He's got the slicked hair, um, you know, all of that stuff. He, great virtue signaler. Wonderful. And President Trump, former President Trump recently said about him, oh, I can't say anything bad about Gavin Newsom because he was really nice to me. I can say some things that are bad about Gavin Newsom. I'm just going to hone in on one. And that's some stupid virtue signaling he's done. Let me get into that. But first, let me tell you about Genucel. I hope everyone had a great Mother's Day and that some of you took advantage of the opportunity to get Genucel at more than 70% off. Um, they've got this unbelievably popular package and I use their products and I love them. I feel more youthful. I feel my skin just feels healthier. But don't just listen to me. I'm going to read you something. This is Ashley M. from Franklin, Indiana. Every product in this package is awesome. My skin looks so much younger and healthier and stays moisturized all day. Absolutely worth every penny. Fewer pennies right now with the 70% offer with my name. Here's another one. This is Sarah from Riva, Maryland. I love these products. I've had several people comment on how much I must feel better based solely on the appearance of my face. That's kind of how I feel about it too. I just uh, feel youthful. So you're going to get the Genucel Dark Spot Corrector. That helps reduce dark spots, the appearance of dark spots from spending time out in the sun. You're going to get the uh, stuff for the under eye bags and puffiness. It's the classic under eye bags therapy, the stuff, <laughs> and the immediate effects with results in as little as 12 hours guaranteed or your money back. You want to get this Genucel product line because it was designed by a, a, a pharmacist. It's made with skin nourishing antioxidants, powerful peptides, a proprietary base that's made here in the USA. My favorite is a deep firming serum with stem cell to- technology. This stuff is golden. Again, you'll get all of that, including their um, ultra retinol. That's a retinol alternative that is safe for everyone. Don't wait. 
go to genucel.com slash Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E. Genucel.com. You're going to find 70, over 70% off their best package. This includes a luxury gift box with three free springtime essentials, three free gifts plus free concierge shipping for a limited time. Go to genucel.com slash Michelle, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Michelle. Well, I mentioned Gavin Newsom and here's the thing that he in 2020 wanted to form this task force to look at reparations. Keep in mind, slavery was never legal in California. I don't think there's really anyone in California who is responsible for slavery in the South. Maybe there are, but the point is what he wanted was reparations from descendants of slaves who live in California. Well, once this task force got started and they put a price tag on it, it got very spendy. So, now he's, it was a great idea, and he wanted to make sure that everyone knew that he, the governor of California, was considering reparations for Californians. You know, a, a majority of Californians right now are people from other parts of the world and other countries, other other states that have moved there, and really have nothing to do with the nation's original sin. And yet he wants to tax the bejesus out of them to pay for this program. And and by the way, California is already running at a massive deficit, which is why you've got so many problems, homelessness, crime. Let me just read to you. California Governor Gavin Newsom has gotten himself in a lose-lose situation by declining to support slavery reparations recommended by his own task force. This is according to a top Sacramento Republican, Sacramento being the, the capital of California, the Democratic governor last Tuesday argued that dealing with the legacy of slavery, quote, is about more than cash payments, unquote, and declined to endorse any specific recommendations made by the task force, including handing out up to $1.2 million in reparations to the state's black residents. Now, there was a time that I thought reparations was a good idea until I really dug in, talked to more people, many of them black Americans, some of them descendants of slaves, and kind of looked at a more macro picture. And here's what I realized. Any class of people can ask for reparations, except I guess except white people. But we know that, geez, women were denied the vote for a long, long time in this country. We want reparations. Because you know what? Had we been able to vote from the very beginning, politics may have looked a whole lot different, and now we're paying the price. Now, I'm not going to equate a vote to slavery. But the point is, is that once you start this process of reparations, it is Katie bar the door. Because every group that believes it has been marginalized in some way, shape, or form will come forward and ask for reparations of whatever kind they decide. Well, look, we all know slavery was disgusting. It was awful. I'm currently reading Ron Chernow's book on Washington, his biography. And there, there's just a lot of painful stuff to recall. It, it was awful. There's no one that can look back and say, boy, that was a good idea. No one. But we are 
so distant from that now. How can you ask people living in the state of California now to pay for the mistakes of people who lived in the South then? That's where it just doesn't make sense. And I think, again, you can open the floodgates with this kind of thing. So um, <laughs> here's another quote. This is this is the Sacramento Assembly Republican leader, James Gallagher. No matter what he does, speaking of Newsom, he's going to anger part of his base. It will take an absurd mental gymnastics to require California taxpayers, including new immigrants, low income workers and even some African-Americans to pay for a wrong committed by other states more than 150 years ago. But that's the position Newsom has put himself in. Yes. So he is. uh this is something to watch to see how he responds to this. They are dealing with a major deficit in California. Where will they get the money for these reparations? Uh, it, it's it's a <laughs> he walked himself into this corner. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Now, Joe Biden over the weekend gave a graduation speech, a commencement speech at one of the historically black colleges and universities. We call them HBCUs. And, um, well, I just want to play you a little clip of it because let's remember that Joe Biden ran on the idea that he was going to be a unifier. He was going to bring the country together. And he hadn't done that. He hasn't even come close. Here's an example of Joe Biden's rhetoric and some people are suggesting he's going this way because his support among black Americans is on the decline big time. So let's play you a little snippet of this speech from over the weekend. The harsh reality that racism has long torn us apart. It's a battle that's never really over. But on the best days, enough of us have the guts and the hearts to st stand up for the best in us, to choose love over hate, unity over disunion, progress over retreat, to stand up against the poison of white supremacy as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. And I'm not saying this because I'm at a black HBCU. I say it wherever I go. To stand up for truth over lies, lies told for power and profit. To confront the ongoing assault, to subvert our elections, suppress our right to vote. Subvert our elections, repress our right to vote. 
That seems like a thing of the past. We saw in Georgia with their new voting laws, more blacks voted in Georgia than ever before. I feel like this notion of repressing the vote. I want someone to show me the proof of that because I have yet to see it. I hear about it a lot. I have yet to see it. I have yet to see it. And um, again, this is the unifier of the nation continuing to, to drive a wedge. And not everyone applauded. You can see that in the footage if you watch it again. You may have noticed it the first time. Uh, and there was a giggle in the crowd when he said, I'm not just saying this because I'm at a black HBCU. The B in HBCU stands for black. So um, I'm just surprised he didn't say, not kidding, not joking. I, I, this is I, for real, like he always does to underscore his points. Anyway, this is sad. Uh, when he could be going to a, a, any university in America and uplifting people and telling them what potential this country holds for them. But he's decided to focus on this. Is it a political calculation? It always is, right? It always is. Uh, I, I didn't enjoy that very much. You know who also is getting some bad news right now are some wedding couples, some couples planning their weddings here coming up in New York. And I'll tell you what happened. So a lot of the migrants coming across the southern border are being moved uh, through these humanitarian transports to other cities. And New York is one of them. New York, remember, is a sanctuary city. Every city that calls itself a sanctuary city suddenly doesn't really want to live up to that name or they're discovering you know we don't have as much room as we thought we had and we don't have as much money as we thought we had so there's a a florida couple has had their wedding upended after an orange county hotel set to take in migrants from new york city abruptly canceled the rooms that the uh, bride-to-be booked for her guests we felt discarded, disappointed, and angry that they just tossed us aside to make an extra dollar for the hotel. It's just not right, Deanna Mifsud, who is 35 years old, fumed. She and Gary Moretti are both originally from New York, planned to marry June 24th um, in upstate Wallkill, with 160 guests from throughout the country expected to attend. For the big day, they had a total of 30 rooms booked at the Crossroads Hotel in Newburgh, and... Now, and they've got people coming from all over the country, um, and they had transportation arranged to and from the hotel for that for the bridal party. We signed a contract. We had a legal contract to have those rooms. We just wanted everybody to be safe and have a good time. But everything was upended when they learned the crossroads was set to accept migrants from New York City who are being bused to hotels in Westchester and the Hudson Valley as the city struggles to deal with the influx of migrants pouring over the border. So they called the hotel and learned that their reservation had been tossed aside. The hotel told them to call Choice Management, which oversees the facility. We were on hold for 45 plus minutes and were ultimately told we can't do anything for you. Bye bye. And we were hung up on. So. Now, I, I can hear it already. 
those that are on the left are saying, oh, a bride and a groom, they're not as important as migrants, as people seeking asylum. Okay. Who says? Who gets to make that determination? And here's my guess, and I hope someone does a deep dive into this. I bet the government of New York, whether it's the city of New York City or the government of the state, is paying top dollar for those hotel rooms more than what the wedding party paid. And so scooch on out of here. We got to change in plans. We know you had a signed contract. Sorry. Call the management company. This isn't the only wedding to be upended in this way. I've heard of at least one more. And, um, you know, I, I know we all like to put ourselves in the shoes of the migrants and think they're desperate, they need help, et cetera, they need shelter. But can you also put yourself in the shoes of other people who do feel tossed aside? By the way, some homeless vets got tossed. I, I want to say it was the same hotel or one in the neighborhood uh, in favor of the migrants. Homeless vets, people that fought for this country that the migrants are so desperate to get to. No more. Um, you know, there are always costs and benefits to every move that you make, and you have to think them through. And I really feel for both in this situation. But if we in this country just keep telling everyone, come on in, you will be taken care of, we'll be more bankrupt than we already are. I, I don't know how we afford this. I don't know how this goes on. Byron Donalds, who's from Florida, congressman from Florida, whom I met, by the way, met his whole family, uh, really enjoyed meeting him, wonderful children, very polite, respectful kids, lovely wife. He was on Fox News Sunday with Shannon Bream, whom I respect very much, this weekend. And he had some things to say about what's going on at the southern border. It's affecting Florida. It, 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 folks, it's going to affect every state in the nation. Let's take a listen to what Byron Donalds had to say. The drug cartel is going to make about $13 billion this year trafficking people to our southern border. And then they use Joe Biden's reckless policy to traffic massive amounts of fentanyl into our country, killing 75,000 Americans per year. That's inhumane. When it comes to negotiations with the Democrats uh, on, on this policy, I say to them very clearly, so let's secure the border first. Let's get it done. Let's finish building the wall and doing all the other uh, mechanisms that are crucial for our country's security. And when we have that done, then we can talk about all the immigration policies. But the left wants to bring out uh, young kids who came here through no faults of their own, quote unquote, and use that as a poker chip, as a leverage point to say we don't need to secure the border. That's insane policy for our country. We can do better. We can do better. We can do better. We're not doing well right now with this policy. And by the way, uh, the, the border, there, there was construction going on for barriers at the border that were qu quite necessary that was just immediately stopped when Joe Biden stepped in the Oval. He stopped the Keystone Energy Pipeline. That had a trickle-down effect on energy in this country. And he stopped all of the barriers at the, at the border. Now, I realize why these things happen. It's because they were associated with a man named Donald Trump, 
whom is so hated by half of this country that it has been determined by this administration that anything Trump did has to be undone. Unless it wasn't convenient for Biden, which that's a a whole nother show. Now, in Texas, they took matters into their own hands for a certain point. They put up a bunch of this really scary barbed wire to protect the influx, influx, excuse me, when Title 42 was dropped. And so they're doing what they have to do. I, I just, I understand that people are in dangerous situations. I understand that that's true all over the world. I, I, and here's one thing that's interesting to me is I got a tweet from a guy who suggests that anything that you see on TV regarding these pictures at the border are from the olden days, that this isn't current photography. That's not true, folks. It's just not true. And that that screams of an ignorance to the real, very real problem that is going on down there. Okay, so let's be honest. The election is already underway. We see it with Joe Biden doing what he's doing, and we see it with Ron DeSantis in Iowa. So this is kind of funny. Trump was supposed to be in Des Moines, and weather kept him from having his event. But it didn't stop Ron DeSantis. And when Trump stepped out of Des Moines, uh, DeSantis stepped in. It was very interesting. Um, and and people online went nutsy cuckoo over this. But let's let's just take a look at this this report. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis met with Iowa voters in Des Moines after former President Donald Trump canceled his event there, sparking debate about the reason for Trump's change of plans. After a packed day of events in Sioux Center and Cedar Rapids, DeSantis made a surprise trip to Des Moines to talk to voters at Jethro's BBQ Southside just minutes from where Trump cited the potential for severe weather in canceling his planned Des Moines rally. So Trump was supposed to have a rally in Des Moines. I guess they got some tornado warnings. He canceled it. Well, you know what? We're in Iowa. Let's head over to Des Moines, said Ron DeSantis. DeSantis has not yet announced a bid for president and has avoided directly addressing the former president, but he appeared to take a jab at Trump in Des Moines, remarking that it was a beautiful night. My better half and I have been able to be all over Iowa today, but before we went back to Florida, we wanted to come by and say hi to the people of Des Moines. So thank you all for coming out. It's a beautiful night. It's been a great day for us. So that was a very interesting turn of events. And actually, politically speaking, purely politically speaking, was a brilliant move by DeSantis. Finds out Trump was canceled in Des Moines, swoops in. Hey, everyone, we're here. We're here to talk to you. We're not afraid of the weather. Now, you can argue whether or not what Trump's campaign did was responsible, blah, blah, blah. I'm just talking purely politically. Very smart move by DeSantis. The other very smart move by DeSantis, that he should continue and continue and continue. And again, Jersey agrees, is having his wife, Casey, by his side as much as humanly possible. She is a is a powerful political ally for him. She is, she just, she, she softens him up a bit, I think. And I think it's uh, very smart for them to appear together as much as they possibly can. So there you go. That was the big doings in Iowa over the weekend. 
Meanwhile, in Virginia, here's another guy, Glenn Youngkin, uh, a Republican. He, he, I don't think he's running for president. He's just been governor of Virginia for a, a, a little while. But he has overhauled Virginia's former Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. We have talked about DEI, which like a lot of people like to call DIE, on this show a lot. The problem with this philosophy is the word equity. See, equity means we all have the same outcome. Equality, on the other hand, means we all have the same opportunity. We cannot guarantee similar outcomes for people. It just, we can certainly guarantee equality of opportunity. Had a guy, Zuby, on this show recently who told us America is still the land of the greatest opportunity. This is a guy who's worked all over the globe and still thinks America is the best in terms of opportunity. No country even comes close. So opportunity is available. Equity, you know, assuring everyone equal outcomes means one thing. The bar just gets lowered so that everyone can clear it. See, I can't get in a pool with Katie Ledecky and have a chance in hell. I can't get in a pool with Leah Thomas and have a chance in hell. So if you want to guarantee equity, you got to say, Katie Ledecky, swim slower. What's the point? If you want equity, you want equal outcomes for everyone, then there will be a tie in every NBA game and there won't be a champion. There will be multiple champions because we want them to have equal outcomes. And when it comes to education, where this drives me craziest is saying, you know what? We got to make things easier for all of our students so everyone can clear the bar. Do you realize what a disservice you're doing to all of these students? You're telling them they can't clear a higher bar. You're telling them that the only way that they're valuable is if they can be equal with every other kid in their sphere in terms of their grades. And so what do we have to show for it? We have so many kids in this nation. It's criminal who are not proficient in reading and math. The two most basic skills you need in life. And that's what we've done by reaching for equity. But in Virginia, Governor Glenn Youngkin has overhauled their office of DEI, putting in charge a black Republican who doesn't mince words. DEI is dead, Martin Brown said late last month in a speech at Virginia, Virginia Military Institute. That's VMI. Democrats are responding to this turnabout by calling for Mr. Brown to be fired for heresy. The state's chief diversity officer since last November, Mr. Brown told VMI that he needed the school to lead in, quote, the greatest country in the world that is already diverse, that has been inclusive. The goal should be, quote, promoting that and then expanding it and tearing down tribalism and divisiveness. This goes back to what uh, Biden said at that college. Making the discussion about outcomes rather than merit is, quote, the wrong mission for the military college. He said, quote, generally, when you are focusing on equity, you're not pursuing merit or excellence, or achievement. A better way, he suggested, is Mr. Yunkin's philosophy of, quote, civil discourse and living the golden rule. 
And for that affront, state progressive groups like the NAACP are calling on Mr. Brown to resign on grounds that his political views, views contradict the mission of his office. Former Virginia Governor Douglas Wilder, a normally sensible Democrat, told the Richmond Times-Dispatch that resignation wouldn't be enough. No, Governor Yunkin needs to fire him, Mr. Wilder said. That's what you do when somebody isn't doing his job. But Mr. Brown is following the lead of the elected governor who appointed him. Mr. Yunkin has rebranded the DEI bureaucracy as the Office of Diversity, Opportunity, and inclusion, emphasizing a commitment to equality and a level playing field, not equity and manufactured outcomes. And if someone can tell me why that's wrong, I'd really like to hear from you. If you can tell me why that's a bad idea, I'd love to hear from you. Equity and equality are not the same thing. And it's about time we started noting that. John Berg is sitting in the studio and has something to say. I could take a stab at why they would say it was say it's wrong. Okay. The situation they're bringing out or they're bringing about, they're trying to bring about is something like Harrison Bergeron, which we've talked about a number of times on here, the book by Kurt Vonnegut. They are aiming. It's the soft bigotry of low expectations. Mm -hmm. You were describing it. They have no expectations for these people. I believe this weekend, Michelle, I sent you an article on, an, on a 2018 study conducted by, I want to say it was Yale, where they actually found that <clears throat> advocates of minorities, this is how they went into the, into the study, we're going to look at how advocates of minorities, how they interact with minorities versus, say, non-advocates, Republicans. And they found that advocates of minorities tend to dumb down their language and speak to minority groups of people as though they aren't intelligent, intelligence enough to understand these folks. Correct. If they just speak normally how they usually would to a you know generic white audience. There was actual evidence, consistent evidence over a long span of time that actually disturbed the people who, who did the study. They said this is really unnerving to find this because, you know, maybe we're patronizing these people, but really? they still kept refer they kept you referring think? Throughout the articles, there is more than one article on it, but throughout the study and the articles talking about the study, they keep referring to these people as advocates and people who are are, are advocating for minorities. And it, they're so willfully blind to this. I mean, uh, the, that, that is that is the definition of not thinking highly of somebody. If you don't think somebody can compete on a fair level, if you think, well, this person uh, we're going to have a foot race. This guy's obviously not going to win. So I have to have this guy start way back. That doesn't mean you think that guy is a good foot racer. The one that you think needs all this extra help. It, it, and again, you brought up the sports analogy. Nobody applies this crap to sports because no. nobody wants to watch that crap. No. When you want to numb your mind out and be entertained with some sports, nobody goes with this. But on, on absolutely critical things like education, right. math, uh, the hard sciences, they yeah. are. They, th this stuff is infecting our culture. It's an infection. Is a, it's a great word. And I agree with you, John Berg. Um, it is. And it's just it's it distresses me to no end because the future of the country depends on people being being able to read, write and do math. And, and those you? things are being supplanted in schools by this focus on white privilege and diversity, equity, inclusion. And, and again, setting a bar that everyone can clear means you must lower the you bar. Lower the bar. It's the opposite of the rising tide. This is yeah. this. In, what in happened to merit? What happened exactly, to merit? In a competitive society, even the people who lose, who end up on the bottom rung, 
are a hell of a lot higher up than they otherwise would be yes. in a society that isn't based on competition and yes. merit. That's yeah. why poor people in this nation, we've had a terrible time uh, dealing with things like obesity and diabetes. That 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 is not how how poor people uh, that's not what their existence was like for essentially all no, of history. I, I come from <laughs> two parents who were dirt poor. And I'm telling you that growing up in a family of six with four siblings that I competed my tush off with made me a better person. And my parents raised the bar constantly. My little Irish German mom and my Hispanic father who came from nothing and raised four kids that they set a bar very high for. Thank you, John Berg. I yeah. want to get into my last story for the day, and it has to do with Daniel Penny, the uh, Army vet, oh, excuse me, the U.S. Marine vet, who's been charged with manslaughter after holding Jordan Neely in a fatal chokehold on a Manhattan subway train. Uh, there's a legal, you know, fundraiser going on. I think it's on Give, Send, Go. And it's raised almost $2 million to help pay for his legal fees. This kid is 24. Yes, I can call him a kid. Arrested and arraigned on second-degree manslaughter on Friday over the May 1st death of the homeless street performer. Um, uh, my guess is that if this goes on to trial, if if all the evidence pres is presented and this goes to trial, he is going to be acquitted. Because what Daniel Penny did was try to protect everyone else on that subway train, including himself, self-defense. By the way, he was not alone. Two other men were there helping to hold down this. It, it's just, it's, this is such a tragic story. It's not like I'm sitting here cheering for Daniel Penny. It, it, it's because Jordan Neely lived a horrifically sad life. And the system let him down. And he slipped through the cracks. And with as much as there was on his rap sheet, he shouldn't have been anywhere near a subway train or station for that matter. And Daniel Penny did what he felt he had to do. He was a former Marine. He jumped into action. He was protecting people until the police got there. And sadly, this resulted in the death of Jordan Neely. It's just a disturbing story all the way around. But people have to ride subways. And there aren't enough subway officers to keep the peace. And when you're faced with that kind of a situation where you see a risk, a threat, and all the reports are consistent that everyone felt threatened, you do what you have to do. And this guy was trained to do what he had to do, what he felt he had to do. And I don't believe there was any intention to end this young man's life. That's me. I think there are a lot of people who agree because obviously his legal fund, Daniel Penny's legal fund is ballooning as we speak. It's just a, another frustrating moment in this country when someone's race determines how people feel about the outcome in this case. I wonder if it had been reversed, if there would have been protesters jumping on the tracks in New York city. I just wonder, it's a fair question when you have a president of the United States 
dividing us in the way that he did in that speech over the weekend. I, I We need someone magnificent to step in and help this country. And that can be you. Because I believe in numbers. Everyone doing what's right every day. And uh, But we do need some leadership. The country is in dire need of leadership. I just hope and pray we find it soon. Hey, thanks for listening to the Michelle Tafoya Show. Don't forget to go to com. And as always, be brave and do good. We'll see you next time. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.